Okay, um, if you're new tonight, welcome. Super excited that you're here. And, ooh, Jess, hi. Sorry to call you out. <laughs> <laughs> hi, everybody. Hi, Jess. <laughs> Sorry. I just got excited. What did we talk about last week? Does anybody remember? Our muchness. Our muchness. Yes. I'm so glad. So as, you know, you guys know the verse, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what's the second commandment? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yes. So that is what we are talking about tonight. There are notes on your table. They look like this if you haven't gotten them yet. Um, and we're going to use them a lot tonight because what I want tonight to be is very, very practical. Um, I want. We were talking a lot about kind of theology a little bit last week, and we're going to bring it down because um, our neighbor lives in the here and now with us. We can reach out and touch them. We can do things for each other. So we're going to talk about practical love tonight. And we're going to kind of <clears throat> look at the, um, the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 as our anchor verse. We're going to really dissect it tonight. But before we get started, let me pray real quick, because who knows what might happen in the technology and, and other places. I don't know. We'll see. Lord, um, let me just start out by saying that tonight is yours, and I am yours, and we are yours. And um, tonight I want to honor you with the words in my mouth. God, and may what we talk about tonight be helpful and instructive as we love you by loving our neighbor. And our neighbor can be all kinds of people. It's a big category. It's everybody except me. So, um, so Lord, I just ask for your help that you would speak to each heart the way that it needs to be spoken to and that um, the words would be concise and that our technology would continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I, um, sometimes I go to yoga. I don't know if you guys have ever gone, but I'm 45, and my body, when I get up in the morning, it like creaks and cracks, and I kind of limp around a little bit, and so I've been like, well, perhaps I should go to yoga to help me move more fluidly. Like, stretching seems like it would be a good plan. So I have been going, and they have this one move, and I forget what it's called, maybe those of you who know these things know, but you like balance and you stretch your leg out. And the teacher tells me when I'm doing this thing and I'm trying to stand one foot like a flamingo, that if you focus your eyes on one spot, it helps you to stay balanced. So I've been practicing focusing my eyes. <clears throat> and it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about it because when you focus your eyes on something, that is like not just yoga, but a lot of sports. Like with archery, they tell you to focus your eyes. Um, when you're driving, do you guys remember when we said, and we were learning how to drive and we were trying to figure out how to stay in the lines. I don't know if your instructor told you this, but mine said just look down straight down the middle. If you look straight down the middle, you're not gonna drift off to either side. Because the point is, is that what we're focused on affects where we end up going, right? And so tonight, as we're talking about how to love, how to love people, um, you know, it's like a good bumper sticker slogan is all over Lynchburg, love God, love people. But as we get into it and we start interacting with people, we find out it's actually not that easy. Am I right? It makes a good bumper slogan, but in real, actual life, it's very, very hard. So healthy relationships and healthy relationships with people don't just happen to us. We have to be focused on what we're doing. We have to be intentional in what we're doing. And unhealthy relationships also don't just happen to us. So I really want to talk specifically through 1 Corinthians 13 about what health and unhealth looks like and how the choices we make in according to the scriptures in our lives really help us to get there. 
We're going to start out by looking at something you may have heard me talk about it before, but it's Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. They teach it in a lot of places. It was um, in 1943 is when Maslow kind of started unpacking. He was a psychologist, psychiatrist, some kind of psych person. And he said that um, you really have to start with like the basic needs before you can build on to what people want, which is self-actualization. You're like, I am everything I should, should be in the world. But he started out with like basic needs, like food, water, air, shelter. And he said that those things are the things we need to start with in order to be well. And then he progressed and said like safety needs, love, belonging, security, those things are the next. I'm sorry, not the love, but the safety needs are the like personal security, employment, resources. Then he went to love and belonging. And I actually disagree with him a little bit um, because he really cares what I think. But me with um, no you know, education or whatever, but maybe just like experience in life, and maybe you guys would have input on this as well, is I feel like <clears throat> that love and belonging need to even perhaps be on the same level if it's physiological and definitely right before employment. They should definitely be before employment because who we are as people, if we don't feel like we're loved and that we belong somewhere, we're gonna seek it out. I was talking to somebody about this this past week and I was like, cults. First of all, I love a good cult. Am I, am I the only one who loves a good cult? I'm like, they're so crazy and that's fascinating to me. But here's the thing, we want to belong to something so much Okay, here's what I was talking to someone about. I'm gonna be really honest with you guys. I'm not recommending you watch this, but have you guys heard of the documentary about Mother God? Okay, she was this cult leader who believed a bunch of insanity, and she ended up like turning blue because she was drinking some kind of weird concoction. I'm not recommending you watch it, I haven't seen it. I've just heard about it, and I was like, it's so crazy to me that people feel like they need to belong so much that they will find anybody who offers them some kind of sense of belonging or security or affection and like cling to that thing, even if it's insane. That's why gangs are actually really powerful is because young men and young boys who don't have that sense of belonging or security or attachment or young women, they, the young people find them and they attach to them. And so I believe that physiological needs like air, water, obviously we can't exist without air or water. So those things do matter, but I would say right right after that is love and belonging. And attachment theory would agree with that. Attachment theory is a newer theory in developmental psychology, and it says that humans are born with a need to form a close emotional bond with a caregiver, and that that bond will develop within the first six months of a child's life. Like cutie little Stella James right there. She's attaching to her mom, Tiffany. She's with Tiff all the time. She's feeling her, she's laying on her, and it says primary caregivers who are available and responsive to an infant's needs allow the child to develop a sense of security. So even though Tiff is just being a good mom, she's just doing what a good mom does, being that good mom to her child is building that sense of security for Stella James from a very early age. So not only, and this is your first film of like, not only is love and belonging important, it's actually vital to feeling secure. It's vital. We actually cannot feel secure without feeling like we are loved and that we belong somewhere. So what does this have to do with our human relationships and interactions? 
I believe that as grown adult women, we still feel, feel this need for connection, for security. It's not wrong, and it's not weak, and it's not, um, it's not something that you should be ashamed of or ashamed of voicing. It's a valid, God-given, God-wired need to belong somewhere. We're connected, we're designed to connect and attach to other human beings to thrive in life. We're biologically and spiritually designed to need this connection and we unconsciously look to our partners, our family, and our close friends for the love, approval, and support. The problem is, sometimes, is that as we go looking for security in human beings, we kind of do what Adam did a little bit, and we reverse the order of the relationships because our secure attachment needs to first be to the Father and then to each other. We go looking often for um, a hero to slay the dragon for us, in human beings, and instead we should be looking to Jesus, the author of our faith. Because our relationship with God is the first place that we'll find foundational security. So a healthy relationship, this is your next fill in the blank, with other people starts with God first. So we talked about that last week a little bit, and that's why that's the first commandment. It's so great that Jesus knew what he was talking about. When we are attached securely to God, and that's where our, our deep foundational security is, then our relationships with people can be attached correctly in healthy ways. So I made a little, um, and this is just me, guys. This is not, I am not a, an expert. <clears throat> But I made a little triangle up that I think might be the spiritual equivalent to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So as you can see on there, it's relationship with God and relationship with people, which then builds intimacy. And then if you progress on to covenant in like a marriage relationship and then into a sexual relationship at the top. But everything, the thing that we need to exist in a healthy relational place is relationship with God. And then once we've attached to him securely, he is the source of wisdom and knowledge, and he gives us a roadmap to what it means to love in a healthy way. So we parked last week in relationship with God, and we're going to park today in relationship with people. So we're just going to ignore the, the top three. We're going to park in the second one from the bottom. And on your... On your Notes, we're going to go ahead and start digging into 1 Corinthians 13, but let's read it. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres, love never fails. How many times have we heard this read at a wedding and been like, that is so beautiful, and moved right on along, right? But this is the wisdom of God for us. Not only is it the wisdom of God for us, it's his character. The scripture says that God is love and that he first loved us. So when he thinks about us, he thinks about us in a patient way, in a kind way, in an unselfish way. God is not easily angered with us. God does not keep a record of our wrongs. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that is so like, he doesn't keep a record of my wrongs. I can breathe, like I can release it. 
God's not mad at me when I make a mistake, which is on a daily basis. He's not mad at me when I need to ask him forgiveness for the 18th time for something that I'm struggling with breaking. God always perseveres with me. He's never going to give up on me. He's never going to give up on you guys. Love never fails. It is foundational. We can trust him. We can trust him. So we're going to peel it back a little bit more. And what is the first thing that you guys notice about this? You can answer me. How many of these things, this is the question, how many of these things that are in the scripture are things that are emotional and how many things are things that we do that are action related? What was it? There are things that we do. Yeah, thanks, Willie. So your next fill in the blank is that this is loving others in a Christ-like way is an action. Isn't that so great? Because let's be so real. My neighbor, who could be my coworker, who could be driving me insane, um, I don't feel the emotion of love towards my coworker, perhaps, right? But it's okay. I don't have to adjust the emotion. I simply need to adjust the action that I'm doing toward that coworker. Or what if you have a family member who just knows how to push that button for you, right? Just knows the right button. It's okay to struggle emotionally with that family member, but what do we do in relation to them as Christ followers? That's what matters. Emotions and thoughts are part of who we are. We're emotional beings. God is emotional. He made us in his image. So as we surrender our lives to Christ, we also get to surrender our emotions. And our emotions will change, and they will reflect him as we go through life loving him. But an unsurrendered emotional life that runs us throws off every part of our, our actions, and then we struggle. Have you guys ever felt like that, like your emotions are running your behavior? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> So I'm, I have a little diagram for us that kind of reflects maybe the cycle that we get in. And this is on your sheet as well. We start with feelings. Oops. I can spell feelings. And that our feelings inform our thoughts. And then our thoughts create our behavior. And then, I always have to think about behavior because my mom is Canadian and I grew up spelling everything with a U. So when I came to college in the United States, I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I forgot letters. Anyway, then after our thoughts create behavior, our behavior reinforces our feelings. And this is in healthy and unhealthy emotions. This is the same cycle. Our arrows are going opposite. Oh, sorry, guys. Make it work for y'all. It should be feelings, thoughts, and behavior, or feelings, thoughts, and behavior, however it works for y'all. Thank you for letting me know. I'm up here to make life hard. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so in, like, in an unhealthy cycle, uh, let's say there's a family member. I have a family member who's making me crazy right now. Okay, so. <laughs> honestly, that's policy. Um, so my, my feeling towards this family member right now is anger, most of the time. Sometimes sadness. But let's, for me, let's just say anger. Um, then my feelings create thoughts. I can ruminate and think about all of the reasons why I'm angry with this person, and how wrong they are, and how they have done me wrong, 
and how I'm the victim in this situation, which could be true or could be not true. I'm not, this is not about the truth, it's just about the feeling and the emotion. So then I have these thoughts. Then these thoughts about how I've been wronged. Do you guys ever like go down the street and like, or you're driving in your car and you're having whole conversations with people who aren't there? <laughs> That's how this plays out for me a lot of times. I have really, really good conversations with people who never hear them. <laughs> so these thoughts create behavior because my next wanting to do situation after having these thoughts is I want to text them to the person. And then guess what happens when you text blast somebody an angry text? Um, they just treat you more the way that they've been treating you. And that just then reinforces my emotions of anger and sadness about our relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you guys following? Okay. So what could break this cycle according to what we just read? Forgiveness. 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 <laughs> what is it? Don't let your feelings control your actions. Don't let your feelings control your actions right here. Right here. We can break it right here. Because if your behavior reinforces the feelings, I'm not saying you can't catch it back here, but it's easiest to start here with behavior. And I think that's why God gave us love as behavior first. So here, instead of texting her, this is a place where I can say, okay, I may not be able to control yet the emotional long conversations I'm having in my head. However, I can choose to not text. Action. Action. Not only can I not text, what if I choose a behavior that's different than that? What if I choose to pray? When I'm in these thought conversations, what if I stop and just pray for that person? Right? So I'm going to replace a negative. This is good. This is better. A negative behavior that reinforces my negative emotion. What if I choose a positive behavior? Then that will make change my emotion. Right? You guys following? Yes. Okay. I have some scripture, I believe, on your notes on the back page. It's Luke 22. And I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to read this at your table. And then I want you to discuss. And here's what I want you to, to look for. I want you to look for the emotion Jesus was feeling, and I want you to look for the action that he took. So I'm going to give you guys five minutes to do this. Ready, set, go. Okay, guys. I'm going to bring us back in. So what emotions did you notice Jesus feeling in that scripture? What are the emotions we, we notice? Anguish. Good job. What else? We call it a heaviness or a weight. A heaviness? What is anguish? Do you guys know what that means? It's sorrow. It's sadness. And it's, do you think it could also be fear? Yes. 
What about him saying like, I don't really want to do this. What emotion is that? Dread. Dread? Did somebody say doubt? Okay, he felt, are these emotions positive or negative? negative? Do you guys know that negative emotions are our stronger emotions? They are. So Jesus is in the middle of, <laughs> wish it wasn't true. Jesus is in the middle of really strong, heavy, negative emotions. What does he, number one, did Jesus ever sin? No. So we can learn from that that emotions that are negative and heavy are not within themselves wrong. That's right. That's right. Right? That's right. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, I know that a lot of times we in the church, or we've been taught as we've grown up, that experiencing negative emotions, the negative emotions could be wrong. But if Jesus did it, perhaps not. Perhaps it's more what we do with the emotion that we feel, right? Okay, so he felt these negative emotions. What did he do? Okay. <laughs> what did Jesus do? He prayed. Prayed. Oh, what can we learn about that? What does that tell us? Actually, you should pray. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. Good night. <laughs> What does that tell us about prayer? It should be our life. It should be perhaps the first thing we do or the thing we do the most when we're in the middle of this. It's powerful. It's powerful. You pray. What else did he do? He withdrew. He withdrew. Thank you. The passage starts with him encouraging his disciples. He encouraged somebody else. Oh my goodness. Do you guys ever feel like you can't do something for someone else if you don't feel it? What if, in fact, it's more important what we do than what we feel? Because love is an action. So Jesus felt this, but he encouraged his disciples. He encouraged someone else. You don't have to feel like everything is awesome in order to love somebody else with encouragement. And this can often change some of this for us. Because truth is true no matter what. Right? Anything else that Jesus did? He surrendered. He surrendered. At the end of that passage, it says that he said, not my will, but yours be done. There's an acceptance of what God has for us especially when we're dealing with negative emotions or when we're dealing with situations or people that are hard. Surrendering to what the Lord has for us to go through helps us to handle what we go through really well. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Did he also accept his lot at the very end? Yeah. Because it's what it's unstoppable. He accepted what God had for him. Yeah. Hey, Chris, one yeah. So to build 
That's so good, guys. Yes. yes so there's yes. a habit of being alone with God. Yeah. The withdrawing that Bobby was talking about. Yeah. Can I also say that he was able to express, I don't really want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be able to say, I have anguish or heaviness or sorrow or fear or dread or any of those things. And yet he did it without sinning, but mm -hmm. to say it to the Father. Mm -hmm. He expressed his emotion to God. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes when we're feeling all of that, we're thinking we can't tell God those things. Yes. Right? But yeah. we can be honest with God. Yeah. And then when we said about the prayer, he prayed, he trusted his emotions. He trusted all of those things mm -hmm. to the Father. Mm -hmm. He sure did. Mm -hmm. That's really good, guys. Everybody gets an A+. Plus, <laughs> plus, plus. Good job, team. Okay. So... So we can say that we can look at what Jesus did and say that love was not emotional for him, but it was an action. We can look at what scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13 and say that love is an action. Number two, loving others well involves boundaries. And when we read, I wanna pull, I wanna pull um, 1 Corinthians 13 back out and reread it with you guys. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Boundary. It does not boast. Boundary. It is not proud. Boundary. It does not dishonor others. Boundary. It is not selfish. Boundary. It is not easily angered. Boundary. It keeps no record of wrongs. Boundary. Love does not delight in evil. Boundary. Those are the things that love does not do. And those are boundaries. Who are those boundaries for? me us yep those are boundaries for us this is really important because we do not act toward other people in these ways in love they're good guardrails and it's for our own hearts first because we all have those moments when someone has done us wrong like actually done us wrong and if you find yourself in that moment and you're super angry it's a good moment to check your heart not that you don't need to be angry, but don't act out of the anger. I know for myself, I can be quick to anger. It's a genetic thing in my family. I'm gonna blame my parents for it, but I'm also gonna take responsibility and say, it is also me. So I have memorized a scripture that says that the anger of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. And so for me, that is a boundary of like, okay, it's not wrong necessarily that I'm upset, but I can hit pause and I can just be quiet. It's actually a possibility because I can be quiet and wait for the Lord to tell me what to do. So don't act quickly in anger. Don't be selfish. Don't keep a record of wrongs. That's a really hard one. That's where forgiveness comes in. Is that we don't keep this record of people's sin against us. Of like you did this and this and this and this and also this. Back in like 1918. <laughs> we don't hold grudges so we look at our own hearts first Matthew 7 verses 3 through 4 says why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye 
Guys, it's really easy in the society that we live in to be really quick to judge other people. It's really easy to be like, well, and on a wide variety of spectrums of things, and to be like, well, this and that, and social media helps us do this really well. It's very helpful in the judging. But guys, the boundaries start and end with me first. So as we're loving our neighbor, how about we love them really well in social media? What if we love our coworker really well by not arguing with them, even though we might disagree about politics or theology or their parenting or whatever? And we might be right, but right isn't always necessary. Sometimes it's more necessary to be kind than to be right. So that's a very practical way to love somebody and to build a bridge. So how are we doing with this before we ask anybody else how they're doing with it? And then I wanna flip it a little bit because I think it's hard for us to judge sometimes whether or not a relationship is healthy for us to be in close relationship with. So I'm gonna flip it a little bit. I have taught you guys this before. I'm gonna reteach it. The friendship circles. Um, we all have relationships, but not every relationship should be the closest one to us. I, I love all of you guys, but I can't be best friends with all of you guys. I want to, but I can't. So all of us have relationships that start out here. It's the widest circle. And this is just acquaintances. I, again, don't know how to spell this. I'm just gonna say people we know. <laughs> if you know how to spell acquaintances, go for it. But this is like grocery store, postman, random person, maybe people at church you've met once or twice, people you know just kind of like on the outside. Next circle in should be like friends. Co-workers, not your closest, most intimate level, but like people that you can say, hey, how's life? Like, you know more about each other than just a passing hello. The third one is family, best friends. These people know you really well, and you know them really well. Not everybody can or should be in circle three. And everybody has a different capacity. So I, I know we like to compare with each other, but guys, if if Bobby has a capacity for like five close best friends, but Nick has a capacity for two close best friends, both of those things are okay and good and right. And it's I think we need to give each other more space and more grace for the emotional capacities and seasons of life that we're each in. Because I know people sometimes get their feelings hurt because they're not here. They're maybe here or maybe here. And I think just give each other grace. We don't know what's happening in everybody else's life. We don't know what the capacities are. That's another way we can practically love each other. In this circle, number three. Well, wait, let me do this. This one should be, number four should be God and a spouse, if you have one. Um, in this circle, number three, think through this list of 1 Corinthians 13. What are the behaviors that you're receiving from the people in this circle? 
that's a good way to check, especially if you guys are out dating and you're trying to move from here to here with somebody and maybe here, before they get here, run through this list. It's a good checklist. What kind of behaviors do you see from them on a regular basis? Are they selfish? Are they quick to anger? Do they keep records of wrongs that other people are just in like conversation? It's not that you need to sit them down and be like, so. <laughs> but just notice things, notice things. In your best friends, what are the patterns of behavior of the people that are the closest to you? We're not looking for perfection, but we want to be, we want this circle of closest to us to be a circle that edifies and builds up and encourages us in Christ. The people that were reaching for Jesus should be in these two. The people that bring out the worst in us. I'm not saying to cut everybody off who doesn't love God with their whole heart. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying they shouldn't be in three and four. Does that make sense? Does that make sense for boundaries? Not for us first, and then as we're looking out into what people we let in close to us, does that make sense? Number three, love never fails. When I first read that verse, I was like, wow, that feels like such a big weight. Love never fails. If I'm called to love my neighbor, that feels like I don't ever get to make a mistake. Just on the surface. <coughs> but the thing is, is that God is always interested in progress, not perfection. He's always interested in progress, not perfection. Remember that he compares us a lot to seeds and trees and vines and branches and growth. You don't start with a seed and overnight it turns into the tree, right? The Lord is very much aware that we grow and we go from one thing to another, sometimes slowly, and that's okay. We're looking at progress. We're not trying to run a sprint. You don't grow a tree in a year. Maybe you do, I don't know. Can you grow a tree in a year? Okay, good. I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. But you don't grow most big things in a short amount of time. Remember that God's heart is positioned toward us in a very particular way. It is patient and kind. His love never runs out. You can't ever make too many mistakes. You can't change his love. He loves us, period, period. You can't ever outrun it, outgrow it, outmistake it. And then as he calls us to love our neighbor, he calls us to be like him, to persist in the way of love. What that means is, is that we don't give up. Again, we don't quit in the middle like we said last week. Sometimes God will put difficult people in your life on purpose because he's trying to change me. He's trying to change you. And this person is like the sandpaper, kind of rubbing the rough edges off of us. Or, or for those of you guys who go to the gym all the time, it's the weight he's asking you to lift to build the spiritual muscle he wants you to have. Right? So this is what I'm saying. Be patient with yourself and be patient with those in your life who are also on a journey. Part of loving other people is understanding that we might want something for them that they're not quite ready to get there yet or they're on the journey to it, they just haven't arrived. I feel like sometimes 
we get impatient and angry with people when we want, especially when we love them, right? Like our kids or our family members or our friends. We can see like so much for them, but they just won't get there. What if we just persist in the way of love and encourage progress and not arriving? Because the scripture says that we plant the seeds, but God gives the growth. And I've had to learn that in my own life, you guys. There have been a few times early on when I was learning how to do discipleship where I was frustrated and mad because the young women that I was talking to weren't quite where I wanted them to be. And I was like, it was good. The things I wanted for them were good. But I, in my impatience with them, created friction that was unnecessary and unhelpful because I was pushing them too hard and they weren't ready to grow. The Lord hadn't brought them there yet. So we look for progress, not perfection, because the love of God makes room for failure. It crosses the chasm of sin and mistakes, and Jesus says, I'm the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. And we can be the bridge for somebody else by extending forgiveness, extending kindness, being patient. It doesn't mean that we have to ignore problems, but we rejoice with the truth, and we don't rejoice with evil. Love sets boundaries, but love doesn't give up. And that's a tension. We like things to be black and white, clear cut. We like things to be like this or this, but life isn't this or this. Life is mostly gray. It's a tension. It's like balancing on a ball. I thought about bringing a ball and trying to balance on it tonight, and I was like, unnecessary. <laughs> we would be calling 911. <laughs> unnecessary. But sometimes when we try to find balance, have you guys ever, like, when you were younger, have you ever stood on, like, a teeter-totter? And you know what I'm talking about? And, like, tried to get it to balance right in the middle. You have to shift your weight a little bit sometimes from one foot to the other to find that balance. And that's what life is like. Sometimes it's a tension. You have to shift your weight here or here when you're working within yourself or with other people. It's a tension that has to be spirit-led. So we're called to progress in following Jesus and we're called to love each other to progress, not to perfection, not to judge them, but to be cheerleaders and coaches and messengers handing out invitations to the banquet table of the Father. I would rather be a messenger than a judge. I'd rather be a cheerleader than a naysayer. So we have about 30 minutes, guys, and these are your two questions for your table. Which of the three parts of practical love that we talked about tonight resonated with you? Did you disagree? That's okay if you did. We're about honesty here. What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Is there anything that you need to surrender to the Lord and loving people? Is there any action that you have to take in your next step? So I'm going to give you guys um, 25 minutes, and then I'll come up and pray us out. Love you. And um, Tiff, will you just leave this up? Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Love you guys.